Today's TribCast is presented by the Property Casualty Insurers Association of America. Learn how insurers are working around the clock to help policyholders begin the rebuilding process. Learn more at TribTalk.org. And Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Read about how new Texas legislation protects healthcare consumers at TribTalk.org. Texas Talking Out. What was that that you said? Texas Talking Out. Gonna hoop upside your head. Texas Talking Out. Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are and Texas guys This is Mrs. Ken Paxton, or as my friends and supporters call me, Angela. I'm running for Senate District 8, and I'm the only candidate in the race endorsed by the Attorney General of Texas. Enjoy this week's TripCast. Now, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here on the second Wednesday in October with your Texas Tribune TribCast, our weekly politics and policy podcast. Sorry, I'm still stunned by that. (laughs) Way to go, Stumbles. (laughs) That was, Evan, a really good get of an intro. Oh, it's pretty good. Uh, I, I will give credit to the, the man in shorts <laughs> who shall remain unnamed. But anybody who... The person in shorts delivered the goods? He's, that he, is like a really... It's a really good intro. Sounds like a drug deal. But yes. you got a problem with the man in shorts? Yeah, you're not going to identify the man in shorts? I'm not. Why would I... I saw Evan at the dog park the other day. He was wearing shorts. Yeah, I was. I was. I was actually wearing like sort of running. I we can probably get. You can probably get counseling for that. It's on our insurance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. grief counseling. High deductible. Right. All right, uh, CEO Evan Smith. I'm, I'm expecting that you are going to go Briscoe Kane on my ass here, and that you're going to shut me down. I'm not going to be able to speak this whole. <laughs> it's podcast. a thought. That's true. And then you might write a column about it. Yes, I will. Political reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon, Patrick Siktek. That's true. How long have you been saying that's that actually, one up? Like, like that's one actually second. pretty close to how people mispronounce my last name. So, And executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Looking good with a short haircut. I'm sure that we're going to hear from someone quickly. What? What are you, like, you don't think sucking Ross up to Ross? What, what did he do? Nothing. We just sat here and listened to you guys have your long conversation right ago. We're just, you know, bonding. Well, we're going to stop talking about Jay-Z for just like about one second. 27 minutes here. Yes. Um, quickly, let's start with uh, Comptroller Glenn Hager's estimates yesterday on what Hurricane Harvey would cost the state of Texas. $2 billion. So um, he's supposed has, to say that with your pinky right, up to your yeah, face yeah. like he Dr. Has, Evil. He has said basically that the, the hurricane and the after effects of it won't have much effect on state revenue. So the state's going to bring in about the same amount in sales tax over the next two years, so it's about not the be same amount in taxes hit. and all of those kinds of things, yeah. uh, but that it's going to be one of the more expensive storms for the state in terms of spending. So The you know, most expensive, right? Yeah. Um, Ike is the previous most expensive. The Center for Public Policy Priorities did a thing a few weeks ago that said – uh, when Ike came around, the state of Texas only spent about $312 million, which is a lot of money, but in the scheme of things, pretty small, and that the federal government spent $35 billion. Uh, this time, you know, the wild estimates have been, you know, 120 to $160 billion on the federal level. Hager's saying he thinks it'll be around $2 billion. He also said it was a soft estimate. And he said, you know, this is going to be uh, the next two years are going to be economically about what he expected, but that Harvey adds a load to it. You buy it? It seems I do. low to me. I don't buy it. Well, you don't buy it. Why? 
Because anytime you've ever tried to build a house, you get a cost estimate on the front end, and then it never turns out to be what they predicted it was going to be on the front end but and the back is, end. This it's isn't going about to take the, a lot more money and a lot more time than anybody has anticipated. This isn't about the overall estimate, though. This is about the state's share of it, and right. two billion would be six times the biggest storm the state's ever had in terms of the state's. But doesn't it also I, seem I'm, low by comparison of what we're asking the feds to contribute? Yeah, the state share of this is actually really small. Right. And, I mean, you that's know, $2 billion seems like... Two, $2 billion would be, you know, you know, kind of the state... Um, color, es- color me skeptical about... Not, I mean, Hager is... The, I don't, the, I don't the history here is the state the, doesn't spend much on these. I don't distrust mm-hmm. the controller, but I'm very skeptical on the front end of this recovery about the estimates of the cost. I'm, fr- I'm, I'm skeptical about the federal government's commitment to uh, honor its promise uh, about the percentage that it's going to pay. Um, you know, we've had four hurricanes that are going to require federal uh, hurricane relief. Right now, fires. And now we have these horrible fires in the right. uh, in Northern California. I mean, I, I'm I'm yeah. just skeptical about the whole thing. And I think, money. I think that, the, that you sort of add all this, yes, and there's going to be a massive fight over whether they just essentially add to the deficit, add to the deficit, add to the deficit. Or they're going to require other things to come out of the budget in order for this money to be increased. There have been multiple increases at the federal level. This is the point, though. I think next session is going to suck. Well, they were already suck Ross underwater. Already wrote you know, a column about that. Right. But so I think it's going to suck so, so much. So they were already behind. You know, um, the Texas Taxpayer and Research Association has done some you know back of the envelope mm-hmm. stuff on this, and you know they figured the legislature walked in. With a seven point nine billion dollar hole before in January first, of twenty nineteen, before, the first before, day of the before Harvey, and yeah. you know you've got a pile of demands for you know fixed school finance. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to fill in a giant hole in Medicaid spending that they left in the current budget. There's a there's a bunch of stuff to 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 take up their money and their time, and Harvey kind of scoots in front of the line on this stuff. Well, and, and scoots to the front of the line. I mean, is there a sense, though, that they are going to turn to the feds and basically say this is largely your responsibility? Because $2, million, or $2 billion is, you know, right. they could fund that out of the rainy day fund in their sleep. They have the money, but, they, you know, they also have these other demands. Breath. And <laughs> right. they also have all of these other things on the list. And they've got this, you know, kind of growing antipathy to using the money in the savings account in the first place. So um, they're going to – They have how take, much there? Twelve? They they have uh, 10.3 right now. They're supposed to have 11.9 at the end of this two years. So, yeah, 12. Um, the the question is, will they use it? Do they want to use it for this? Do they use it for other needs? And what do the feds step up with? The, the, right. the thing to remember is that it's the business of the state continues to be more complicated and more expensive year mm-hmm. over year, regardless of whether the budget picture is positive or negative. We're adding 80,000 kids to the public school system a year. Population between now and 2050 is going to double in size. We know what the... That's also doubling the number of taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, except a lot of the new... Uh, to my understanding of the demographics, a lot of the new population is going to not be taxpaying yet. Right. A lot of young oh, kids. It's yeah. a lot of young people. Right. Look, um, uh, the state's going to have enormous challenges going forward, regardless of whether the budget is good. And if the budget is bad, it's going to be Lord of the Flies from a funding standpoint. You know, public ed is going to be fighting with health care, is going to be fighting with higher ed, higher yeah, ed, right. with border security. We're right. going to be squabbling over fewer dollars available. Well, and, and how can revenue uh, projections be the same? And Davis asks on Facebook, I mean, has there been any impact on, on oil and gas revenue? Well, oil and gas was already going down a little bit. Um, it's, you know, not a crash, but it's been going down a little bit. They expect to and have 14 percent of the economy, according right. to the They expect to have a drop 
in some of these things. You know, for a minute, you don't do a, a bunch of retail shopping right after a hurricane, so sales taxes go down. Right. And then you start rebuilding, so sales taxes go up. Um, they lost somewhere between 500,000 and a million cars. So probably in the next six months or a year, we're going to have three or four years of cars worth of car sales as people replace those. Um, so sales taxes go up for that. He's saying over two years, he thinks state revenue will be about where they expected it to be at the end of the session. Right. Uh, Patrick, we're getting some questions on Facebook that I think you are well-suited to address. Great. I'm ready. Chance the Rapper versus yeah. Travis Scott. <laughs> yeah. Go. Uh, Michael wants to know, will you address fundraising numbers for Beto O'Rourke and Ted Cruz? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we learned today uh, from their campaigns, kind of the top lines on their quarter three fundraising reports. They don't have to report these numbers to the Federal Election Commission until uh, Sunday. Um, O'Rourke raised $1.7 million in the third quarter, which is the most recent three-month period. Cruz raised uh, $2 million uh, over the same period of time. And so, um, you know, this is a turnaround for Cruz. Obviously, he was uh, pretty easily outraised by O'Rourke during the second quarter. Um, but that number by O'Rourke is still very impressive, $1.7 million for Democrat uh, running for federal statewide office in Texas, um, still a, a very strong number. And he's only $300,000 behind Cruz. I mean, he's kind of nipping at his heels in some ways. So is it an indication, uh, first of all, is it an indication that Cruz is starting to take this seriously? I think you can read that into it. Obviously, it, it wasn't good for him to get outraised by his challenger last time around. I think that he's starting to get his act together on the mm -hmm. fundraising front. Um, you know, with all this being said, though, you have to note that Cruz still has a very significant cash on hand advantage. That's the money he has saved up in the bank. He has, um, I think, something like $6.4, $6.3 million right. in the bank, and O'Rourke has maybe $2.8 million. Um, but, you know, my takeaway is that, you know, O'Rourke continues to impress. Um, you know, I think this is, again, still a very strong number for him um, uh, for a Democrat in Texas. Yeah, and he only he curses nearly as much as Evan Smith. <laughs> no one can touch my cursing. Yeah, the Evan Smith, the Evan Smith Look, that bomb it, reel it, it, is it probably, minutes long. It probably helps uh, Congressman O'Rourke in this race, that uh, fundraising race, that is, that there are no other Democrats on the ballot, right? There's no competition for Democratic dollars that right. want to uh, change the politics or the yeah, color I of the state. I don't understand right. how right. this could be at this point. But uh, so, I mean, what pivoting to, to Abbott for a second, you also had a story this week about, you know, Abbott, basically, who does not have a serious Democratic challenger right now, deciding that his, you know, big reach goal for this campaign cycle is going to be to lure more Latino voters onto his right. side. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had his campaign held what they're calling uh, the first of, uh, in a series of Hispanic leadership conferences. It was an all day event in San Antonio where um, I think the, the attendance count was like 250 some activists, his, mainly Hispanic Republican supporters gathered. And they heard from the first lady, uh, Cecilia Abbott. They heard from Abbott himself. Um, there were some breakout sessions where uh, they heard from some campaign volunteers about, you know, how to go door to door, to door how to speak with people, uh, how to deal with the media when they're interviewed. Um, so it was, it was quite a comprehensive session. I like and yeah. Can I sit in on how the <laughs> Abbott campaign plans to deal with the media? I, think that one was I have press, a few yeah. questions. Do they have anybody with experience? Um, so, yeah, but this is all part of a, a push to, to grow the share of the Hispanic vote that he got in 2014. Uh, according to at least exit polling, that number was 44 uh, percent. The Democrats are, are not only skeptical of that number, but they're skeptical of, of how successful he's going to be in 2018, uh, just because 
Um, you know, since 2014, we've had uh, the, the passage of SB4, the Sanctuary Cities ban. They believe that that's going to be uh, anathema to this uh, Hispanic outreach. Um, and the Abbott people, quite frankly, and Abbott himself on the flip side, they actually, I, I spoke with him after the event, and he said that uh, he views it as more of a uh, asset than a liability. And the Abbott campaign is, more, is views what is more of uh, SB4. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you have to look at the numbers, but I think that the Abbott team um, – you know, among the voters that they Hispanic voters that they have and that they're currently targeting, um, you know, they view it as more of an asset than a liability. And that obviously goes against what, you know, kind of what the conventional wisdom has been. So that burdens on them, I think, to I prove just, that. I'll tell you how the Democrats are not going to be able to beat Abbott on the uh and a Hispanic vote if they don't have a candidate. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. yeah, you can, you can argue about whether Abbott can appeal right. to Hispanic voters all day long or whatever. But one, one thing that I think is more objective and factual than anything else is that given the lack of an opponent right now, he has the time, space and resources to actually right. do this right. and make an effort. Right. You nominate Casper the Friendly Ghost or some other non-existent human. Yeah, I, I just have to wonder how hard it is in this. I mean, has he acknowledged at all that he might be up against, you know, a, a difficult national conversation around this? Right. And that was what we also touched on in our story was this is the era of Donald Trump right. where, you know, every Republican was getting tied to Donald Trump. And it could be especially problematic in the Hispanic community in Texas. Um, I think that was the most interesting quote in our story. I asked him, you know, uh, you know. Do you think that uh, Hispanic voters in Texas, you know, are, are going to tie you to Donald Trump? You're going to be viewed as the same as Donald Trump. And he immediately distanced himself from Donald Trump and basically said, Trump's I'm doing a fundraiser yeah. for him, isn't he? Uh, I don't know. But he's <laughs> I mean, they certainly have political ties. And um, he said, I'm completely into, you know, I, I'm confident that voters, Hispanic voters in Texas view me as completely independent from Trump. And he said that any money spent trying to tie me to Donald Trump, uh, you might as well set on fire. I, I, I want to stay with that for a second. Yeah. Why Setting does the, why does the governor, what, what objective evidence exists to prove the governor's point on that? Why does the governor believe that people will view him independent of Donald Trump? What is anything that the governor, I mean, truly, yeah. what is anything that the governor has done that demonstrates independence from Donald Trump. I, I don't think that the governor has been. What has he done that's demonstrated, you know, an enduring commitment? I, to I asked you first. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, look, look. Good I mean, ser- but, 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 but seriously. Sounds like my household. But, right. but, but seriously, like what? Where? Tell me one major policy area, just one, on which Governor Abbott is distanced from Donald Trump. That is not a qualitative question. I'm not asking it with a qualitative judgment behind it good or bad. I'm simply asking it. If the governor is going to say, I think I'm confident that they're not going to tie me to Donald Trump and any attempt to do that would be money wasted. I'd like to know where the governor differs from Donald yeah, there Trump. Have a, you know, ever since Trump's gotten in office, there have certainly not been any policy or notable splits on policy or politics between um, Trump and Abbott. So I, th- I think that that's an argument that he's going to have to prove. I mean, the, the thing that the policy issue that he, Abbott, I think, has been most aligned or most uh, you know, he's become the most well-known for since his time in office, the Sanctuary Cities ban. That dovetails exactly with what's going on right. in the federal government. There's no, you know, obviously right. we talked about how Abbott doesn't view that as a liability, like his, his critics say it is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there school, haven't been a lot of choice, sports. Abbott and Trump are besties. Hating on Obamacare, Abbott and Trump are besties. Right. Um, having I get what, up, I sue Obama. Yeah, having like having what one might describe as a complicated relationship with bathroom legislation. <laughs> yeah. He's besties with Trump. I mean, seriously, go go through you know, go through the, the list. The, I don't yeah. see where the difference. The generic are. here is if the party's standard bearer 
Uh, you're going to assume anybody in that party is with the standard bearer. The standard bearer is Donald Trump. Right. You're going to assume they're with them unless they're they've proven some distance. Right. Abbott hasn't proven. Greg any Greg Abbott is not Bob Corker. Greg Abbott isn't even Will Hurd, as far as oh, Donald Trump not. goes. No, I mean this is my point. Right. I, so I'm I'm so again with respect to the governor. Right. I don't I don't buy the idea that somehow he's going to be viewed as independent of Donald Trump. It may not be a yeah. liability to not be viewed as independent. But again, to, to the other point, it doesn't matter if there's no Democrat running against you. Correct. Uh, while we've been here arguing about this, Beto O'Rourke has replied to us on Twitter. Hey, guys. Oh, that's what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, right. Or someone on his staff. Right. We're going to believe that it's him. Hey, guys, we had 32,969 individual contributions last quarter, and Cruz had 26,000. He's There's a little nanny, oh. nanny, boo-boo action in the... Uh, <laughs> we got to Cruz on the thread now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, right. <laughs> so we're waiting. So, so is, is Cruz going to subtweet him now on this? Yeah. Let's wait and see. So Beto wrote to you specifically? No, he wrote to the Texas Tribune, I'm assuming. Right, Bobby? He was watching our Twitter stream. Yep, watching our Twitter stream. Yeah. By the way, folks, we're not Presumably just... between Lufkin Today and, and Wichita Falls. Right. 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 This is an important landmark. We're not just streaming this live on Facebook. We're also streaming it live on Twitter. We are? Has that never happened before? It has never happened Are we before. doing it on Meerkat? Uh, I... Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I think Meerkat's the it, it will make all of It was a trick question, and he, and he passed the test. Yeah. That's good. A uh, question from Mike on Facebook. How will the 2018 Senate race not end up with a similar result as the 2014 governor's race? Didn't the Democrats have similar expectations with Wendy Davis to win a statewide race? Yes. It, and she also raised a lot of money. Yes. Um, yes. You know. She raised, uh, yeah, she spent she also, $12 million or something like that. Yeah, money was also on her side she in had, some ways. She had plenty of money. I, I think Beto O'Rourke is going to have one of those campaigns where he's probably going to have enough money and enough, you know, ability to generate press that everybody knows who the two candidates are. And then, you know, if there's something else in there – that he can take advantage of. That's how you win. But if yeah. there's not, you're going to get a baseline Democrat number and a baseline Republican he'll, he'll number. He'll be a darling of the activists. Right. He'll be no Bob Kruger in that respect, right? right? I mean, he's going to be a candidate who is going to fire people up. What was the old, uh, the great old line, one of my favorite lines ever from Ken Herman, that Bob Kruger had the Tony Sanchez-like ability to take a crowd in a frenzy and whip them into a coma, right? <laughs> that is not Bob Kruger. Right. Or that is not Beto O'Rourke, I should say. Right. Beto O'Rourke is not whipping anybody into a coma. However, right. he does come come to the table with the embedded problems of a generic Democrat in a state that has been generically Republican. Right. He points out it's not a red state. It's a non-voting state piece. That's all fine. Here, here's the thing that I think is going to be interesting. I want to come to a different aspect of the story that I want to layer on top of this conversation, and that is that Steve Bannon came out this week and said, we're going after every Republican incumbent in the country except for Ted except Cruz. Except for Ted Cruz. I, I think that's really interesting. And, and the argument that finally was made by somebody on this was – because there was never really an explanation about this. And there was speculation, well, the Mercers backed Cruz, the Mercers backed Bannon, so this must be a Mercer thing. What was finally said was Bannon believes that Cruz is moving toward – a version of populism that is of the Bannon variety, and that's why they want to lay off of, of Cruz. If that's indeed true, I think that provides a ray of light for the Democrats and for O'Rourke specifically to run not just against Cruz, but to run against the national environment. Cruz has tended to keep his own counsel as far as a lot of the national stuff goes. Certainly, he's not been aligned with Trump on, on everything. Right. Um, and so Cruz has, has maintained his independence from Washington. But if now suddenly Cruz gets lumped in with Bannon or Bannon lumps Cruz in with Bannon, then O'Rourke gets to nationalize this race potentially and run against all the evils, perceived evils of Bannon. 
I think O'Rourke's going to nationalize this race, whatever happens over there. I mean, that's that's the way this runs. Just you, as the as the Republicans will run against – this is the point. The Republicans are going to run against Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are going to run against Steve Bannon. Well, the, no, the Democrats are going to run against Donald Did Trump. Did I read, read that Beto's going to Silicon Valley for some for a fundraiser? Yeah, Recode reported last night that he's uh, had to raise some money. So Nothing um, wrong with that. Yeah, I'm sure I mean, Cruz you know, does have a state budget. Last time I looked, the Mercers <laughs> I mean, didn't live in Orange, yeah, Texas. If you're running against a national candidate, Ted Cruz is a national mm-hmm. candidate. He's run for president. Yeah. People all over the country know him. If you're running against a national candidate, he's going to raise money from Republicans all over the United States. It's and not a mutual non-aggression money. pact. And yeah. O'Rourke's going to raise money from Democrats all over the country. Yeah, just a quick thing here on the on the flip side of this, it remains to be seen what's going to fire up Cruz supporters heading into 2018. There's a very kind of depressed mood uh, with Republicans in Congress right now, and right. Cruz has. We did this story two weekends ago after I, I saw him at a few Tea Party groups, and he's tried to kind of triangulate and remove himself from this function in Washington, but also keep himself aligned with uh, the Trump agenda in Washington. And I think he's doing a very delicate dance right now. And obviously over his you know six years in office, he's given his supporters things to be really excited about. But in, in recent months, as, as he gets ready to you know formally launch his campaign, I'm, I'm interested to see kind of what, uh, you know, what, what's where the excitement is in his record right now. Do you think if you asked right Cruz, would you commit to not running for president, no matter the circumstances, during the next term as, as, a, as a Texas senator, that he would say yes. Why would he do, do that? Do you think voters would care? Yeah. Well, that question is often asked of people when is, they is run the for question, the question, yeah, would, you, would, you commit, would you commit to Oh, I asked, out your I term? asked him that in January in Austin. And yeah. he said? He said it wasn't time to talk politics. <laughs> how, how dare you ask me a political question, sir? Yeah. Right, right. Well, just a reminder, if you're tuning in on Facebook or Twitter, you can send questions our way. You, Beto O'Rourke, anybody. Uh, in the meantime, let's chat about what exactly went down at Texas Southern University this week uh, with your friends Briscoe Kane and, um, and who, Boris who, Miles. Who are you referring to? Who's, who's friend? I was looking at you. I, I don't know that I've met Boris Miles. Have you met Briscoe Kane? Oh, I've met Briscoe Kane. All right. What happened at Texas Southern? So the Federalist Society chapter at Texas Southern University invited Briscoe Kane to come. First of speak. all, there is one. There is one. Uh, they have a Thurgood Marshall right. School of Law. It's a good yeah. law school. Yeah. Um, and they have a Federalist Society there, and they invited him to come speak, talk about the session and whatnot. He showed up for that. There were protesters. Boris Miles, another state legislator from Houston, was at the same time meeting with the president. Just uh, coincidentally, just, right? Just, like you know, happened to be down the hall, you know, having a, you know having a drink or whatever, and they heard these protests, and the president basically shut it down, had the university police escort Briscoe Kane out of the room for his own protection, they said, and, you know, said that they hadn't followed the right procedures for speakers and so on. So after this sorts out a little bit, um, the dean of the law school came out and said, no, he did go through the right procedures. He had approval to do that. We should have let him speak. You know, what are we doing here? And this is up in the air. Uh, Kane has said, I'm willing to go back if they're willing to have me. He wrote an op-ed for us for Trip Talk. Uh, basically, here's what happened on my way to my speech. Um, and um, they're kind of sorting it out. And Texas Southern is now the latest, you know, in a, you know, a growing series of universities um, battling Seems over like who gets to talk here and what do they speech. get to say. Yeah. Are you sympathetic to the Texas Southern cancellation or are you sympathetic to Representative Kane? I, I think that, you know, if you're going to have a college, you ought to have a, this is a place where ideas go to fight and you ought to be able to have a conversation and talk. Um, you well, ought to have, you ought to have down. ways to, to, you know, make this as civil as possible, but I don't think you should shut down ideas or shut down speakers just because you, you know, some group of your students doesn't agree with them. 
I really feel like this is getting into dangerous territory. I mean, when I was in college, I remember people of all stripes coming to speak, and there, you know, students listened. They didn't always, you know, right. It's a box of fruits and nuts. I mean, it's college. It's full of you know weird ideas and strange people and nonconformists and oddballs. Do I think like Richard Spencer should be invited to speak on every campus and should be you know treated with? Kid gloves. No, well, that was that was a little is... bit different because he wanted to hold a rally and he right. wanted to incite people to do stuff. And one of the ways that they build this latest appearance at Texas A and M, and the reason Texas A and M turned that away was we need to continue what we started in Charlottesville, mm-hmm. and nobody at Texas A and M wanted to continue what started in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. I mean, did did Boris Miles end up? You know, we got I saw this email from Empower Texans that went out right. that basically accused Boris Miles of like you know derailing right. the whole thing. So, you know, I think uh, Kane and Miles were kind of on the same page. I, you know, uh, Miles said Kane didn't do anything wrong. This was not his fault. Um, pretty you know clearly pulled out of that, and you know he basically helped him get out of there. Um, had after this, the president of the university had said we need to get him out of there, so. Um, I don't think the problem's there. I think the problem is, you know, does Texas Southern and in a broader sense other universities have a way to bring speakers onto campus Mm -hmm. and let people hear their ideas even when some people don't want to hear them? I think the most troubling aspect in some of these episodes, and I don't know the extent to which it happened at TSU, is when the administrators are, uh, they just cave, it seems like. Yeah, um, they fold like chairs. Exactly. And they end up. Turning into Milo Papa Floppa right. Floppalus, whatever his name you're is. Always it's not a positive. It's not a positive <laughs> thing no. for the you're, people. You're always going to have students with strong right. opinions on campus, and that's what makes college campuses college campuses. But when it's the, the administrators who are supposed to be honest brokers, I think, in some of these disputes end up, you know, caving right. to one side or the other. I think that's troubling. I don't know how, I don't know the extent to which that happened. At I, I, I want to make another point on this to p- build on what you guys are saying, which is that the president today is shit talking NBC News for reporting what the president asserts, but nobody else asserts really is fake news. This about is the, the actual president, not the president of TSU. Actual president of these United States. And he's talking about we need to remove the licenses from these stations that don't report the news accurately. Of course, he doesn't understand that, among other things, NBC is not licensed, right? It's not the, like that's not how this works. <laughs> but um, license uh, to open a media outlet. The the the, the, pre- the president acting like a despot about the First Amendment and about the press is not acceptable. But nor is stifling speech you don't agree with on college campus is acceptable. You There's, cannot bitch about the president stifling the First Amendment when you then turn around and stifle the First Amendment yourself. A right. pox on everybody. This is ridiculous. Right. First Amendment exists to protect speech you don't agree with. And the minute that you walk away from that, you no longer support the First Amendment. It's ridiculous. Well, but then how do you feel about, you know, like the ACLU taking a, a different approach to, you know, they've, they've traditionally defended these white supremacist groups and helped them get their, um, you know, Well, the, AC, the ACLU is, is, is got to answer for itself. They, they have to answer for the decisions that they make in trying to accomplish what they accomplish or to achieve their mission. I'm simply saying that there's a lot of uh, hypocrisy to go around here. Right. And I think people need to take a chill pill as far as this college campus stuff because it is very bad. There's a lot of whiners on what, both sides. What college students of all political stripes need to be more than anything else is exposed to ideas different from the ones they already have in their heads. Not just college students, what everybody yeah, needs. Yeah, but I'm talking specifically to co- about, about college campuses. This is an age when from an idea standpoint, people are not yet brand loyal. They're not old enough to have got these ideas fixed in their head that they're never going to get out. 
this is a time when they should be exploring things that they disagree with. And it's, it's, it's completely counterproductive to the exercise going to college to shut out people you don't agree with simply because you don't agree with them. Shorter Evan to students. <laughs> don't be snowflakes. Yeah. Mo- yeah. Most of these events, too, and I think the Federal Society has a good history on, on this as well. They, they have a Q&A se- session afterward. Um, you know, all takers can can question the, the speaker or something like that. Uh, you know, if, if you're Sounds so like Texas Tribune event. <laughs> if you're so right. confident that your ideas are the superior ones and so secure in that, I think that that would be the, the period to prove it rather than try to just shut it off from the beginning. Well, talking a little bit about these issues around you know Charlottesville or college campuses, what is what's the latest in this sort of Confederate monuments memorabilia saga at the Texas Capitol right now? Uh, Eric Johnson and the governor are going to meet uh, sometime later this month. Eric Johnson is a state representative, a Democrat from Dallas, African American, um, and pretty darn close to his office in the state capitol. There's a plaque that's um, factually incorrect about the Confederacy. Factually and, incorrect in that it says what? What? Uh, you know, I don't have the words right in front of me, but it yeah. basically, I think know, it mischaracterizes the purpus of the war of or the something civil. like that. It does yeah. not suggest that the civil the war. The plaque was disagrees right. with the reasons to, Texas yeah. stated when it pulled out of the Union to join the Confederacy. Right. And um, he's going with history instead of with the plaque, and says, you know, we ought to pull this off the wall. And you know, initially encountered some resistance to that, and then Joe Strauss, the speaker, came in and said, you know, I agree with I this. Agree. We ought to look yeah. at this. It falls to the State Preservation Board, which is basically going to work in the orbits of the state leadership yeah. of Abbott and Strauss and Dan Patrick, the lieutenant mm-hmm. governor. And so they're starting a conversation. Well, one thing that I view interesting here is I actually kind of view two conversations and they haven't fully merged it. I think Johnson wants them to merge, but you have this plaque, which is factually incorrect. And I think to a lot of leaders, it's kind of the low-hanging fruit of dealing right. with Confederate right. plaques. And, yeah, and this, mar- or this let's one's, deal this with this one. And this then is, then right. we, yeah. You know, but whether this is going to lead to a broader discussion about right. the rest of these Confederate markers and monuments on the Capitol grounds really remains to be seen. Like I said, I mean, right. you know, well, coming, out, coming out against a plaque that is factually incorrect makes a lot of sense. I know Strauss is really the only one who is bold, you know, right. <laughs> right. enough courage to actually say it. fact-checking in that race. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So right. it remains yeah. to be seen right. whether we're going to have that broader conversation I, that I think Representative Johnson wants. I do think if you're a Republican legislator who fears sort of opening the can of worms on this, you know, th- that this quote-unquote low-hanging fruit could we be... We can't correct facts, my heavens. Could, <laughs> right. Could be dangerous because it does start a bigger... Well, we took yeah. down that, you know, what's the threshold for accuracy, factual accuracy? Right. You know, when you have people on statues who were fighting to defend the institution of slavery. Well, if they're going to put up statues, they have to be accountable for their work. And, and if they're going to mem- memorialize these things and commemorate these things, then they have to be willing to stand up for the things they're memorializing and commemorating. And if they're not willing to do that, then pull the statues down. I, I still go back to the line uttered by and I think written for the president of the University of Texas, Greg Fenvis, after they removed the Confederate statues overnight. He said, we don't choose our history, but we do choose those who we celebrate. Mm-hmm. Right. It was I think, super I think weird that's, to walk around the UT campus. I think that's very interesting as a way to think about this right. issue. Yeah. see all of those yeah. empty statues. They're like tree stumps. They're like big yeah. cement tree stumps. To me, that's actually, to qu- that's actually, you know, I don't know if they're planning on replacing them, but that's pretty artistic in and of itself, these right. empty yeah. pedestals. Nothing I'll, to see here, I'll folks. put up a statue of you. Ramshaw. Thank you. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time we have. If you like listening to the Tribcast every week, please do us a favor. Yeah, what's wrong with you? And leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings help us reach more listeners like you. And if you value the Tribune's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. It will help us get our Evan Smith statue stat. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. Ma- made of hummus. On behalf of Evan, Ross, Patrick, and our producers, Bobby and John, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Come back.
Seventeen-year-old me would possibly eat a chicken fried Twinkie, which fifty-one-year-old me would not fucking do. <laughs>